Welcome to episode four of Underexposure, a podcast for creatives by creatives, hosted by Ian Harrington, Manny Aqua, and me, Carrie Helton. The San Diego creative community is super tight-knit and super cohesive, and it's something I wasn't really aware of until I got exposed to the industry here in San Diego. And uh, one of the leaders in the creative community here in San Diego is a co-founder of an agency uh, and also just a, you know, a leader in our little community. And uh, when coronavirus hit, he was one of the first ones, he and his partner, to kind of step up and reach out to the rest of the community and bring people together and see how we could address challenges uh, and come up with you know creative solutions to the new situations that we were in and you know how we could again collectively just kind of problem solve together and and get past what we were going through um so our guest today is rob knopf and we're super pumped to have him rob thank you man for being here with us today What's up, guys? No, super stoked to be here. Awesome, yeah. man. So, uh, Rob, we, we wanted to you know jump in first and, and talk a little bit about how you got into the creative field and you know wh- where that spark comes from, and then just talk a little bit about your journey, man. So, um, you know, we can kind of dive right in, dude. Uh, what got you on the on the creative path? Yeah, I mean, I guess kind of like all of us, we probably had some sort of little creative aspect in our lives. Um, I was always more of a visual learner. I was always drawing a lot. Um, I used to like copy cartoons all the time of just like, I mean, anything, Rugrats, Disney stuff, (laughs) and just like people thought it was like, I was tracing it, you know? So I remember early on just being very visually oriented and um, it kind of just grew from there as far as different aspects of my life involving different visual, you know, the visual components, I, I, I guess like everyone, we watched a lot of TV growing up. And uh, mm-hmm. my stepdad, he's actually, um, he's obsessed with movies, but like old school movies. So I watched a lot of like Turner classic movies growing up or like AMC TCM. where as a kid, I was like, I mean, it was kind of like sometimes boring, but sometimes I would find myself being really into what they were talking about. And um you know, I always found myself being like, how did they do that? How did they get that Mm -hmm. shot? And I think that's still been like a lifelong journey of figuring out how people are getting shots. It was just like always the coolest aspect of production to me, because as we all know, so much goes into just like one little shot, this little frame that I'm in, you know, it took me a couple hours to make. And uh, that kind of stuff just always excited me, that movie magic aspect. Um, and sometimes it was just like, oh, damn, they got that shot by, you know, just trying something new or whatever. It wasn't just the certain equipment or anything like that. And so I was always really excited to learn, kind of deconstruct how they got certain shots or just made certain visual themes happen. Um, and then I actually went to a uh, arts high school where I honed in a lot more of my visual arts. I went there for like painting, drawing, and that was probably one of the first times I picked up an actual film camera uh, for my photography class. And that's probably where I credit a lot of the, uh, my framing, uh, just the look. And this was like, I was in high school in the you know, early 2000s, so this was still film film and developing it took hours, being in the dark room took hours, and then 
it's it's not a good feeling when you have 24 <laughs> shitty photos, you know? And so I, I think that helped us really pay attention, or helped me really pay attention to the shot, the frame, and, uh, you know, the settings, obviously. So um, it, that was definitely the start of it all. And then it actually took me getting to college, and I don't know, like everyone, I was 18 years old and I'm supposed to know what I want to do for the rest of my life. No, it just, right. that wasn't where I was. Um, so right. it took me being in college, trying out a couple different things, and I, I knew early on I wanted to, I guess, for lack of a better term, make films. Um, <laughs> but you know, as, as we all know, films have evolved um, to what they actually are now, to what we maybe watch regularly now. Um, YouTube, right. Vimeo weren't things really back in 2004, 2005. And, um, what, what college were you at, Rob? So I actually started, I moved to San Diego in 2004, uh, well, 2004, 2005 to go to San Diego State. And I went there, I was in the film department after I did uh, whatever, you know, your first year of requirements that you have to do. Um, and then I went to the film department there and I actually ended up transferring to Cal State San Marcos and that's where I, I graduated from ultimately where they were just a lot more focused on media creation. I felt like they were actually in it of what type of content and what type of video people were watching versus um, at San Diego State, I learned a lot of awesome stuff about theory and you know certain practices that we obviously still use today, but it was a little too grandiose of, I'm not trying to do what Charlie Chaplin did in the 1920s, I'm trying to do, it's 2020, you know, I'm trying to do something for these times. So how many years uh, later? <laughs> it was just one so, of those things where I thought they were uh, focusing more on things that were realistic that I could make, you know, with right. a handful of people versus I need a class of 25 people to make this short film that is just going to go into like our student showcase. But that that's cool how you got like the, the classical training, you know, the classical like film Charlie Chaplin training. But then you also got this very contemporary look at how we can appropriate those fundamentals into like content for real life. Exactly. Scenario, it was, right. yeah, it was exactly kind of like I was saying of, it was a great just pulling back the curtain of like all the stuff I was curious how they did. And then you're like, oh man, those are very complicated shots to get, you know, these, <laughs> right. these one takes before gimbals existed and all this yeah. kind of stuff that, um, it, it definitely opened up my eyes and I was very excited to learn it. But then I wanted to put it into practice and the actual hands-on experience wasn't as, uh, I guess, as practical because if you're trying to do things the old way, there's someone that just needs to watch the script to make sure you're, you know, getting the right lines. And as we all know, we, we all need to wear multiple hats when we're rolling with our small crews. Even our big crews are probably small compared to some of the films, you know, so... Um, it was very exciting to learn that type of stuff, but also I'm a critical thinker, so when you're learning stuff, you're also trying to think of ways of maybe streamlining some processes or make it easier for however you are gonna handle that uh, production or whatever. And so I always kind of had ideas of like, why doesn't the producer script supervise or kind of trying to combine a few roles. And I know that's like not the best thing sometimes because you want someone dedicated, but when you're trying to do something with four or five people, you do have to wear a lot of hats. 
And um, I was always kind of thinking like that of how can we maybe wear another extra hat just to get something done because sometimes it's better to have something done than try to make it perfect and not have anything. Sure. That's or, or totally it, true. It, as I'm sure you probably learned early on, or if you're if you're freelancing or doing it by yourself, you got to wear all those hats, man. Like you're 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 in charge of you know from A to Z, you got to do it all, you know. So uh, being able to to split it up and you know have a team and delegate some of that stuff is is a real um, I don't want to call it luxury because uh, it's something you have to work towards and build towards, you know. Um, so it's a great asset to have once you get a little little further down the road. Yeah, it feels like a lot of the people that we talk with in like not just San Diego, but on our, our level of production have had that kind of like that come up to where like not to take the analogy of hats super far, but like you're literally just like stacking hats on hats on hats on hats. <laughs> and then eventually you have like people around you where you're like, here, take this hat. And then you're like, yeah. all right, you, you take that hat, but maybe you should take three hats so I can not <laughs> wear as many hats. And then all the hats are out of the closet and you're like, I don't have any hats to wear. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it, it is cool because I, I think that really builds like the strength up of yourself of knowing all that knowledge and it, it's, you know, it varies so much. Like when you go to like LA or something where people are like, you have this role, like this is what you do. Like you move chairs and you're like, oh, I, you know, that's it. Like, so it's, it feels like it's a, it's more of a strength though. Like what, have you progressed in, you know, Roberto's and like removing those hats as, as well for yourself now? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you, you know, there's obviously, there's a reason that people are specialists at things. And, you know, obviously I can probably do audio, but I would never consider myself an audio guy. Um, you know, I set up this nice little setup here, but, um, you know, uh, I think I think it's helped me, like you said, Ian, as far as like being able to talk with an audio guy because I understand it. I've ran into issues, obviously, and uh, able to work through them, but you can just kind of talk the talk with them a little bit, and you're talking their same language. They get that you get it, and overall, it just kind of, I like to still have my fingers in a little bit of everything, especially for our project, so having that kind of firsthand experience doing it all where, I mean, we all probably did the one-man band thing where, you know, we were setting up the camera, doing the interview, recording the audio, that's a three, four person job. But we all did it at once and that just, it was a great crash course in just kind of learning on how things work and how you want them set up and to relay that to someone who that's their specialty. I think they appreciate that on some level. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of not skipping steps, you know? Like when, when, you're, when you're first getting started out, learning how to be proficient, not necessarily expert but being able to operate you know all of those different aspects so that when it, when t the time does come to delegate those things you can communicate intelligently with the person who's in charge of that now whoever's wearing that hat uh you know you or if there's a problem you understand what the problem is and can maybe help with providing a solution right um, mm -hmm. but if if you've never worked any audio before and somebody's talking to you about channels or you know something like that and you're clueless you know that benefits no one in the situation right so exactly yeah, hu huge proponent of like not skipping those steps right it's it's almost like comparing the analogy of a captain of a of a boat or a ship mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. you have to know even how to do the most smallest details of like 
sealing some rupture on the bottom of the boat or something like mm -hmm. scratching all of the the smallest little things that the boat has so to Boom say just gym, to keep son. it yeah Boom you gotta keep gym. it afloat so <laughs> if you gotta go up on the mast you'll go up on the mast you know what i mean let's like, only talk an analogy for the entire <laughs> podcast hopefully so, nautical like <laughs> you so, see a uh, production's like an old car right yeah. <laughs> if you don't grease those bearings <laughs> but that that's basically gotta, what it is you, you gotta be yeah. a master of your craft and the more you dip your fingers and your your hands and everything in, in the whole subject matter you're gonna be more experienced and seasoned to know about it you know right to, to so, delegate what you're saying Harry right so so Rob let, let's I, I want to jump back onto the the kind of uh, timeline here so after college um, before so we're talking about Roberto's Roberto's is uh, Rob and his partner's agency um, but so walk us to how you got to that point yeah, so our company kind of started as a, uh, I guess, culmination of Rolly and I doing freelance. So pretty much at the tail end of college, when I was about to graduate, um, I really honed in a lot of video, was maybe building up my little equipment arsenal that I would laugh at now, but I loved it back then, of course. And um, yeah, you know, you got contacted and people were asking me to make little short videos they heard of this thing called youtube that they're trying to maybe put something on and um i was realizing like people are willing to pay me for this craft and it was super exciting because i didn't really want to go to like a corporate job i wanted to stay in a creative field and i thought i was making you know some good good headway for that and so um, I took on anything and everything that involved me shooting with a camera and editing. So uh, I did it all. I did corporate videos. I did like, you know, the big events where I was just the guy in the back of the room filming a two hour long keynote, um, literally everything. And uh, while I was doing a ton of freelance, there was two organizations that I ended up uh, hooking up with and uh, working a lot with. One was the Media Arts Center of San Diego. Um, they're here in town. They're a local nonprofit that actually their goal is to promote, um, you know, video technologies and production for uh, uh, kids, youth. And so, um, you know, a, a lot of them come from maybe lower income families and things like that. Uh, but we all live in the same world, so they have to understand these new languages and, and new things. And so I really uh, enjoyed what they did. Uh, and they were actually offering a, uh, a program called Community Videographers, where they were allowing people to either get assignments uh, handed to them, or you can come with ideas, and you would interview, shoot, and record audio, and edit, um, basically like a two to four minute uh, kind of mini documentary for various prominent people in the community or members of the Media Arts Center, um, other nonprofits, things like that. And I still actually have a check, I, uh, one of my first framed checks of, uh, of uh, one of my first gigs. I think it was under 200 bucks, but they were... So rad. Exactly. Well, so they were, they were offering these stories, community stories at like 200 bucks a pop. And so, you know, you kind of take it at your own timeline, do your own thing, and, you know, you get paid for it at the end, at the end of when you're done. And so people were doing one a month, maybe one every couple of weeks. 
I loved it. I thought it was super cool. I came up from like documentaries. That's stuff I really liked doing in college. And uh, um, I was doing four a week. And just like, because that's, that's all I was doing. And it was nice. awesome. After it. Yeah. yeah. It was just, it was one of those things where I realized when my parents were like, hey, big bag graduates. So now we did our part. So you can either yeah. start your business or, you oh. know, come move back home. And I was not trying to do that. So. Well, that, that, that's cool, Rob, because, you know, it is a, especially when I was first getting started out, you know, I was trying to look for ways to not only make money doing what I wanted to do, but trying to find ways to continue to cut my teeth and, and sharpen my skills. Right. So I, I didn't, I, before we just had this conversation, I had no idea that there were community programs that existed that offered one, an opportunity to film and, you know, work on the craft, but two, that also paid a little bit, which would have been super cool to know, you know, first getting started out. So it, just for anybody who's listening, obviously, um, if you're trying to get the wheels turning, uh, maybe look at community programs in your area, uh, trying to find places that will do what Rob is talking about here and maybe not only allow you to work, but will pay you a little too. And Rob took it to the extreme, bro. I'm doing four of these a week. Like I'm getting my hundred and seventy three dollars a job. Like, he said I'm gonna get a production van. I'm gonna go out here and get all these That that is really cool too, because you know, I think a lot of people that are just starting out, like videographers, sometimes tend to go towards like just the, the promo video side where it's like there's no sound. It's usually like uh, one individual that's like working out or it's an attractive female on the beach or right. you know the, the stuff that you see the all the time style, fashion whatever editorial yeah music. but like I, I totally agree that like the concept of shooting interviews I mean that's like 101 I like if you know how to shoot a good interview and light a good interview like you're set for success because interviews are that that's like the basis to me of like really good corporate work, totally. you know, nonprofit work, things of that nature. So that that is really cool that that's where you started. I wish I had done the same thing because I started in, again, like promo world and, and like then learned how to light a, a subject very well. Right. Well, it's uh, it's like, uh, you know, like we always say, it's it's the story. The story is some is it within those interviews. It's like if I see another event video all shot with gimbal Every oh single God. shot is a gimbal. Like I yeah. get it, you got a cool new Ronin, and that's awesome. But it's like <laughs> that's not the story. That's not the value. It almost takes away because it's so distracting. Um, yeah. But, but 2015 uh, carry is feeling real attacked right now. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that is something you know, to put on blast, though. I mean, it, it's it's so it's so evident, and you know, guys, I feel like that are experienced like us, it not to call out guys that are doing that maybe a little bit, but it, it, you, I see it all the time. Like you're saying, it's just, that's all the content they have. I'm like, cool. That's, that's nice. Those are good, smooth shots, but what else do you got? Well, and that's kind of like, well, you know, we were talking, yeah, it's kind of like we were talking earlier where it was just kind of like, Hey, I want something like this. And it's like, okay, well this is, fairly easy to get I guess or whatever but it's like it's not genuine it's the same old thing that this other guy created except I'm doing it at your event and I think this because the saturation of technology and you know different things like that um, you just see that a lot more because it's it's accessible to get I mean I don't know what Canon's T2i or the TI models are at now but 
those are fairly accessible and they're great cameras and you can do a lot with them but you know people end up doing a lot of the same stuff which kind of takes away from the overall piece mm -hmm. so so rob you uh so you you start working at this uh the what was the name of the place again media oh, art center. center yeah media art center so you start working at uh, Media Art Center, getting those gigs rolling, and then uh, what happens then? So, yeah, I was just on this tear of freelancing like crazy. I didn't even know what freelancing was really when I started doing it. It wasn't like a thing. I was just like, people were well, calling me and I was... <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm not a business, man. I'm a business, man. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, it, it just calm, it was very bro. exciting at that point in time because it was just like oh crap you know and when you're a young kid you're trying to figure out the way you want to live your life and that just seemed like really cool of i go somewhere for four or five hours shoot an interview and then i basically can take that night or the next day to like chop it up and edit i used to shoot on the xha1 so i had to digitize all those tapes by the way so that was <laughs> That was a workflow thing. I'm glad has been resolved. Oh my God. Those tapes were brutal. I, so dude, so kind of like I was saying where, you know, there's certain processes that you have to do, but I was always trying to figure out a better way to do it. And so I used to, at the beginning, just digitize my tapes. I'd go whatever, grab some food and hang out for a little bit. But then I was like, then rewatching the tapes for the edit. So I was just like, well, I'm already playing them from their entirety. Let me just let them digitize and then I would start taking my notes there. And that was like a way I was able to just kind of start creating my workflow for that. Just a little more efficient. Mm -hmm. And so I went on this tear of freelance and with the Media Arts Center, I also uh, found a company. Um, it was in the very, very early stages. They were still building out their crews, but um, I found a company called WeTubeU. I don't remember if it was on Craigslist, but I feel Craigslist wasn't as sketchy back then, so it might have been on Craigslist. And uh, so many jobs, so many jobs through <laughs> Craigslist, bro. Yeah. So many jobs. And so, um, yeah, I just I, I hit it, I hit him up, and um, this lady was starting a company. Um, she used to be a real estate. Her story was she used to be a real estate agent in Rancho Bernardo, and with the growth of YouTube and video in general for you know, self-promotion, online promotion, she was trying to do her own videos. And quickly, like I'm sure a lot of people, she realized this is way harder than it looks. And so that was kind of the seed of the company of, there's a ton of kind of older businesses that have been in business for so long, and they just kind of need to evolve a little bit to this new time. And um, that was our goal with it, is to make them just, you know, nice, concise, professional quality commercials um, and again, I was, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Uh, started working there for about a year and then, um, I just kind of really started moving up the ladder within the company. It was super small, so there wasn't that many rings. Uh, but you know, I went from just being a camera guy and then, uh, to pretty much leading the crews. Uh, the shoots got a little bit repetitive for me. It was kind of very similar two talking heads, B-roll of their office, B-roll of the restaurant, whatever. It was a lot of CPAs and you know professionals like that. So a lot of papers being passed around the desk basically for B-roll. 
and uh, and lots of handshakes, which we still do today. You know, you just it's there's those things like that that you don't get away from. It just you have to have. Um, well, and those things those things become muscle memory shots too. You know, where it's yeah. like, oh, oh, I know exactly what B roll shot we need here. You know, and exactly you done like that. You don't have to experiment and play with different shots. You know exactly right. what to get. Exactly. And so uh, since the shoots were getting maybe a little uh, less exciting for me, I kind of took to becoming the production manager. And again, now I was pretty much in charge of about three crews. Um, each crew had about four or five people in it. Um, so that was a big learning curve for me of just everyone's a different personality. You know, I have my own personality. And it's funny when you meet someone that isn't as like gung-ho about it but they're maybe good at their job and so i really learned how to just communicate with different types of production people and then also on the other side of the coin um i was really interested about the business side my uh the ceo of the company her name is lane elliott um she is what i would consider probably like my first mentor and i would i learned everything business from her um and i that's where i think i really kind of got that I don't know, that little itch or something where I was really stoked on making this a real business. Um, I think at different points in my career, the creative, the creativity side sometimes had to just be put on the passenger seat for a little bit so I can move the car forward uh, business-wise to get to these bigger projects. And uh, I mean, we still do that today, you know, when the coronavirus hit, I wasn't thinking of what cool creative project can we do? It was a lot more strategic business moves that we had to be involved with. And, um, and that's, that's, I think, a big factor that's differentiated us from maybe some other people that started around the same time and were the artists to get their vision across. And I totally get that, of, I totally get that, of course, but um, uh, it, it's two things. If you want to run a creative video company, well, you got to be creative with video, but you're running a company. And we don't forget that. And uh, uh, sometimes that just has to be in the forefront. Maintain those effective business practices at all times, for sure. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a, a stage, too, where in, of like the growth level of a creative where they're able to, like you said, that you, you are able to step back and analyze the situation. One, I mean, working with of running crews probably gave you like so much experience. You're right. Mm -hmm. Like people are so different, but if you can look at things with a broad scope, see where people are placed. I mean that, that just because you're, you're kind of like training yourself to be a director at that point too, you know, like I know your skill set, where you're going to be applied and then also gaining that business knowledge, man. I mean that that's so vital to, to, to maintain your survival because you can be so creative, and I feel like we've talked about this in other podcasts of being, you know, you, you can be exceptionally creative, but if nobody wants to hire you, well, you know, you're, you're kind of out of luck. And what do you do to, to not get to that point? Well, you, you put the creative in the passenger seat, like you said. I think that's a really powerful statement that a lot of people coming up should, should realize early on. It's like you are creative, but like be ready to train yourself for the business aspects of it or else you'll, you'll fall back. Definitely, I mean, I think that, yeah, I think those are huge aspects of, uh, you know, people get blinded of, I'm going to be a video person, or, I mean, I've talked at a couple like high schools or even like junior highs, and 
that the number of kids that want to be a quote unquote vlogger is insane. It's literally the entire class because they have, you know, intimate relationships with their YouTube channel, their favorite YouTube channel and all that. Yet they don't see behind the curtain of the amount of work that this guy sitting there chopping up the interview, making it fun, making it exciting to watch. And, um, or maybe has a crew of three or four guys, you know, yeah. on his back helping him out. You know, that's the other thing, too. Exactly. It's crazy. I mean, it is insane the amount of kids that want to be YouTubers. And, I mean, I've got a 14-year-old cousin who, I mean, even two, three years ago, that's all he, he wanted to talk about was YouTubers he was following and what he wanted to do, cooking shows, like gaming shows, you know, like all these things that he wanted to do, man. So yeah, we're, we're definitely in that new era, bro, of like, you know, people being aware of digital, you know, media and, and wanting to be a part of it. Yeah. And also like monetizing it. I feel like Manny and I have like, I've like swore, I remember when Instagram came out and I was like, I'm never going to use Instagram. And that is not true at all now. And now TikTok has come out. I'm like, I'm never going to use TikTok. I guarantee next week I'm going to be all over there dancing and shit. Be like, <laughs> no, 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 no. The only thing. Y'all want some TikTok, video services? I do. I do. I am against dancing on TikTok. Like we can be super creative on TikTok without necessarily dancing. Some We're going to dance on TikTok together, bro. <laughs> yeah. Make some sales, baby. Yeah. Dude, I'm a, you know, I'm a huge fan. And I was that way too. Uh, Snapchat, same way. It was like you know i'm i'm not i'm not gonna do it but then you know it was funny i i follow gary v or whatever great dude right and says a lot of wise stuff and he was talking about judging platforms when they come out you know and how how platforms naturally age up they start with that younger demographic and and eventually your mom's gonna be on tiktok dancing you know so I mean? many moms on TikTok, bro. You guys don't know. <laughs> like my so, mom so, will never be on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you you get to that point where it's it's the the initial judgment of the app passes, and then everybody jumps on board. So I've been trying to be more uh, more considerate, I guess, about my judgments towards platforms, and instead looking at them a little more objectively and being like, okay, how do we use this to deliver our message, you know, um, more so than being like, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to be on TikTok, you know? <laughs> yeah. How do you use this platform to your advantage or how do you create content to better suit this platform too? Like that's our challenge, you know, instead of judging those platforms, like they're gaining hell attraction. We already know that like that's, it's absurd how much traction are on those platforms. So we, you're just being negative <laughs> you know you're not adding you know if you're just judging rather just create brainstorm and make it work yeah and there may be some insecurity there where it's like i you know i i don't know i don't know what that's about so i'm gonna judge it or deem it like negative or for the kids or whatever um but honestly man these are our vehicles now like these new platforms that come up when they're in their early stages you have an a larger opportunity to get on there and reach more people without having to spend the money, without having to break through all the noise on that platform. You can you know, and test products without even investing in them if you really wanted sure. to, you know what I mean? Like it's crazy. Yeah. And, and these new platforms will just continue to arise and we'll, you know, we just have to keep figuring out how to use their features um, and their discovery platform, you know, discovery features to, to reach our audience, you know? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the one of the biggest things that I've noticed with, 
you know, new platforms. And I was on your boat too, Ian. I was like, I'm never getting on Instagram. And then we had a company Instagram and I was just posting like all our party stuff on there. And I was like, huh, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should just get one if I'm enjoying it as much, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I think within that, what it did and what it does, uh, I'm not really, I don't know much about TikTok besides like you're saying, Carrie, when I get together at a family thing and my little cousins are dancing in a line down the stairs or whatever. But I, I think with I think with like Instagram, Snapchat, and and now TikTok, they're peeling back that curtain a little bit of what the inner workings of a company is really about. You know, it's not just this super nice high end video that Nike put out. You're That's seeing exactly behind, right, bro. you know, they're you're you're seeing behind their creative meetings. You're seeing the person that's holding the phone that's putting the TikTok content on there. Exactly. And I think it just adds that human value that the consumer has changed. It's not like when, you know, in the 50s where we're just like, "Oh, doctors tell me to smoke camels, so I'm going to smoke camels." It's you want to know who's who's rolling up these camels, what's in it, and these these, these platforms give you that access. And you wanna, people crave it, man. Yo, Rob, you want to see totally, the Doñita, totally. the Cubana, rolling up those camels, huh? <laughs> <laughs> she like, look, yep. we go like this with my hands, you know, we got to <laughs> But that's be, like definitely like seeing like where it comes from, the authenticity of like, it's not just the whole... I don't know. It's not just a brand, you know, it's actually people. It's actually someone I can connect yeah. to. It's someone I can relate with, you know? So that, that's what people exactly. want to. Yeah. People, people want that connection, man. So it's, it's that, um, it's about creating that emotional, you know, that emotional reaction or that emotional connection with an audience. And the way to do that is by introducing people into the equation, you know, uh, people that they can, like you were saying, Manny, connect with, you know, and, and relate to. Um, and yeah, man, these platforms give us that ability now to bring the people into the experience of the brand as opposed to just kind of that voyeuristic seeing it from the outside, you know. It's part of the Omni channel of the voice of your of each and every brand that I mean, why why not? If it's available, why not be on it? You know what I mean? It's definitely like its own job. I mean, that was one of the maybe one of the one of the hats that we were very interested on, you know, getting off of our rack because I get social media, we're on it. I see stuff that people are, you know, doing right. I see stuff that people are doing well that maybe we wouldn't do. Um but it's a lot of work to do it right and uh, do it consistently. So um, I'm not like I'm not obsessed with likes and posting something like that. Mine's very just kind of on the fly if I'm feeling it or not. But as a company, you want to have a consistent strategy, a campaign or whatever. And uh, that was one thing that uh, the two roles we were very uh, adamant on filling that weren't rolling in myself within our company was a salesperson. Because salespeople, that's a whole another breed of person. You know, that's you're you're just in that mindset. And then also uh, social media, which they're a kind of a different breed on their on their own right, where they kind of care about the little things. They know the inner workings. I mean, I've never learned so much about hashtags when they first came out. It was so crazy, uh, but they work. You know, and so there's value to those things. It's just like I don't want to spend my time reading blogs about that. I'd rather figure out cool ways to grow the business. So um, yeah, th those are definitely two roles that are very important, but kind of out of my element that we were interested in, in filling early on, but they're just crucial for the time that we're in right now. Right, so so Rob, uh, before you were thinking about hiring people for 
social media or for sales or anything like that, where, where did, uh, where did Roberto start and how did you and Roly kind of come together on that? Yeah. So I guess right around the same time I started working with, uh, we you was the name of the company with my business mentor. Um, I think I was probably right around 2009, 2010. I was just about to graduate college and I actually, uh, ended up moving in with Roly and I didn't really know him. He worked on a project with us. Um, so a little background from Roly. He's born and bred in San Diego, um, hometown hero. He's on the radio, 91X. And, yeah, uh, he, yeah. ho- and he hosts uh, the local show or co-hosts the local show Sunday nights uh, with Tim Piles. And basically he has just his finger on the pulse of local music. Um, and, and that's kind of how I knew him. My old roommate was his intern. And so uh, he helped uh, my other my old roommate was also in uh, some video uh, production stuff as well. So uh, we would work on some projects here and there together uh, for school or different personal things. And I think Roly was helping out with audio and I did the editing. So we never really like met on set. He came over to the house and we chatted for a little bit and uh, that was kind of it. And then when we were moving out of our new place, it's funny, I was at the Media Arts Center because I was returning some equipment and it was like, I don't know, July 31st. And I'm like, damn, I need a roommate. And <laughs> basically I heard that Rolly was moving out of his spot in OB and uh, I, I just hit him up and was like, hey, I heard you're looking for a roommate. So am I, uh, what do you think? And it, kind of, it, it, and it, and it worked out really well. Um, you know, we found a spot in North Park and we lived there for eight years. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, yeah, it's a long time to live with anyone, whether you like them or not. And uh, that's a that's a bromance right there. Yeah. For totally, sure. totally. I mean, for dude, now with like now with like paperwork with the company, it's like, man, this is like our most serious relationship here. <laughs> Seriously. But uh, but yeah. So um, when I moved in with Roly, that's when the snowball really started moving on us creating our company. Um, Obviously, we were just always around each other and all we would do is talk video. If we weren't working on a video project, we were talking ideas, we were analyzing whatever we were watching on TV and, you know, everything in between. So um, we were just nonstop in that mindset. And I was doing those kind of, you know, corporate type jobs. I was the production manager at WeTube, doing a lot more admin type stuff. Um, which I hated at the time, but I see is valuable now for, you know, what it's kind of placed in me. But, um, I was just kind of, for a lack of a better word, bored and he was shooting awesome bands. He was going to the Casbah and shooting like awesome video. And they were having uh, artists come into the actual studio. I'd never been in a radio station before. It's not as exciting as you think, but it is cool. Uh, and you know, they just had artists coming in. So that's when we started combining forces a little bit. If I needed a camera guy for a super easy enough shoot, he jumped on board. I was always down to lend a hand with anything he needed because they were just a lot different type of shoots, a little more creative and just a little more fun. You know, it wasn't like set up a tripod, put them on this side of the frame or that side of the frame and let them talk. It was like, you got to get the shot. These guys are like moving on stage and it was just a, a different type of shoot, way more dynamic, way more fun. And uh, that's, that was the, that was the, yeah, that was the birth of it where 
we just started doing that together, putting these things out, and then people started hitting us up for stuff, so we figured let's kind of try to make this legit, cut the middleman, and then just kind of bring it all in-house. And not like we were making tons of money or anything, but it was kind of cool to be paid from your company. And so um, that was the birth of it was us just working together on a ton of stuff um, and being able to kind of grow the projects first and then us realizing like, oh, this could actually could actually be a little thing here. Um, one of our, uh, I guess one of the staples that I think really helped us grow, and I don't know if I've even talked with it with you guys just yet, but uh, we did a web series called A Red Trolley Show. And that was, again, the spin of Rolly had a lot of connections within the music industry here in San Diego um, and beyond. And we had a little crew of people that were helping us out. I've, I developed a little list of contractors. Our homies were always down to lend a hand, you know, hey, here, hold this microphone. All right, you're an audio guy now, you know. Yeah. I remember when I first started in San Diego, that was like, you guys, I remember seeing that and it was like a huge inspo for me because I was like, this is so rad that they're shooting this in a live space. And I remember seeing like just a couple of the episodes and I was like, man, this is really well produced. This is like good stuff. And again, this is when I was just starting like to get my my things going. And I was like, oh, this is this is possible to do it in a in a big or, you know, a, a larger scale. And again, just the I, you know, I, I, maybe we could talk you could talk about how that process worked, because I mean, that's like it's really you're, you're shooting it in a trolley. I remember when I when I first saw it, I was like, this is yeah, it's super dope. The concept was there. And I also remember like drinking the beer that was like related with it. And I was and I was like, man, are these guys like getting funded by this company too? like this is fucking good. Like this is good shit. Like so I, I would love to hear more about that, that whole process, like how that got started and the ideation of that, too. For sure, yeah. Thank you so much. That's awesome. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you've seen it before. It's really cool. We've been doing it for a long time. It's a I long think. time, dude. That was like that was like 2014. I remember when yeah. I saw one of the first ones. I was like, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of. I guess like everything started started as a little passion project and turned into real work at some point, which is kind of the goal of you know what we're doing as a company too. Um, this is just on a little smaller scale, but. The idea with the Red Trolley show was uh, we used to watch a lot of uh, live music type stuff uh, at our apartment all the time. And one of our favorite things was actually, a, a, I think it's a, a company out of France, but they have a, a it's called La Blagotech. And they do some similar one take shows where it's like one of my favorites is they had Phoenix playing, uh, I think, like in London and they were in a double decker bus. And the dude's in the back of the top of the bus, and then they start singing one of their hits, and he just walks off the bus, and people are like, what? what's, what's going on here? He walks out and then just starts cruising the streets, and it was just like, they do it with one camera, so it's very kind of immersive, I guess. You're just like really going with them. Um, and we liked that a lot, but we thought we could do it with maybe more cameras. How do we make it more of a hometown thing? And um, 
you know, the red trolley just popped up. Not that we rode it all the time or anything. We were just like, I know it's there. And I've taken it to TJ once or twice. But, uh, <laughs> you know. It's super, it's super specific to San Diego, too, though. Yeah, definitely. So super definitely, identifiable. Yes. Yeah, so we, uh, the very, very first one, uh, well, even before that, we did a test because we weren't regular riders. So we were like, let's just see what it's even like on this thing. Dude, yeah, and, there's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild on there sometimes, yeah. which I was always yes. like, how are they doing this? Yeah. Well, we're definitely a sight to see as well. So sometimes uh, people either go away from us or we attract people. Sometimes they're the right people. Sometimes they're the homeless guy that's drinking a flask on there. So uh, yeah. that's kind of the fun of it, you know? Right. It's, totally. Every experience is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same idea, but that's what we wanted to do where everyone just was different. And uh, we thought that would accomplish it by doing it on the trolley. Um, and like I said, Rolly had some connections with local musicians. So uh, we put it together uh, with a couple musicians. We did three pretty much hoping that nothing happened. We didn't ask permission. We were gonna ask for forgiveness later on if anything uh, did occur. And uh, actually MTS, the Metropolitan Transit System, did see it and they loved it. And they actually reached out to us to create some sort of partnership because um, as you guys know, public transportation isn't always seen in the best light or a cool factor. And we were providing that. We were providing that visual and that kind of storyline for them, which they just didn't really have. And so they were on board, no pun intended, since literally episode four. Um, and we signed a yearly contract with them. We're on hold right now uh, for various reasons, but um, they, we, since I want to say, yeah, 2011, 2012 maybe we've been signing a yearly contract where we're okay to do this by them if we have high profile people they'll provide us with security um and they're just like they're great partners to be working with and uh they they kind of just gave us the reins they just they gave us the okay and you guys are doing it right so you just do whatever you want and uh it's it's been a really cool partnership because those first three episodes we were buying the tickets yeah and our company wasn't necessarily making money yet and so yeah. we're like damn we're like we're spending money to make this stuff it's like oh the lead singer the lead singer brings his girlfriend the drummer I, right. his girlfriend and it's like oh shit no, we're like buying a lot of tickets here yeah yeah i think that's but, another great like lesson just for people i mean anybody like in the sense of that you guys just went and did it you know, you just went and did it. You had this feeling that it was something that was like gonna work, yeah. And it and it did work. And in actuality, the company that you guys were, you know, gonna be a partnership loved it before you even asked. And I think that's a, a big thing with just you know the creative space too is you got to take those risks. Like, yeah. and it, it, it certainly Do paid it off. Though. I mean. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, doing it safely, but don't get arrested. Yeah, yes, don't please. get arrested. <laughs> take but that, risks, but take smart risks. Yeah. Yes, yeah. calculated. Calculated. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I think that's like something that I always tell uh, younger people or people just starting out is like, dude, you're not going to make, you're not going to make the best thing you've ever made right off the bat. So let's just get that one off the, off the list already. Just go ahead and shoot something. Uh, like we were talking before, you know, was 
you use your phone. That's if that's the best camera that you have, shoot something with it, edit something with it, because you're gonna learn something from that anyway. And you're gonna learn, hey, I'm not gonna edit with this, or I'm not gonna do that, what have you. And uh, I think that's just a big factor, because, and I'm guilty of this too, sometimes you overthink, especially at the level that we're at now, you want it to be perfect. You want it to look a certain way, and I get that, and I, I'm guilty as well. It's just, I'd rather, like I said earlier, I'd rather have something done and be okay with it and maybe learn from it than overthink this thing that never gets done. It's reps, man. It's reps. You got to, you know, we, we've talked about this before on previous episodes too, you know, giving yourself permission to suck at something mm -hmm. and then getting the reps in, man. You, you know, you just got to knock those first three or four out, five, whatever it takes. And then now you've got, yeah, now you've developed this high value skill set, you know? Um, so yeah, get, getting those reps in, bro. Practice makes so, yeah, we're, we're big, we're big proponents of even, you know, being okay to fail. I think we've all learned some big lessons by, you know, some failures that we've had. And, you know, they probably seem like the end of the world at that point in time, but look at us now, you know, we're, we, we, we grew from that shell. We, you know, we cocooned out of that and uh, you're a totally different person. And so I like that. I, I like to fail. And so um, not that I don't try to, but uh, you know, when it, when it happens, I don't see it as a, a fully negative thing because I think it's ultimately just going to be a lesson for us. And so that's the kind of mindset that we keep within our company and, you know, our company culture and things like that, which is, I think, been a big factor of why we're at where we're at. We have to be okay with failure, bro. Otherwise, there's like no real growth. Like, you know, like if you're if you're not okay to fail, like then you're then first of all, you might not even be trying, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So and it's also that's how you point. saw those like you know, those company, that company you're working for too, it's like all they did was, you know, the same thing over and over. And that, that's where you get stuck too. And again, something I've been guilty of, it, you know, you, you get comfortable, you get complacent because yeah, you're pushing out a great product, but if it's literally the same thing over and over, it, no matter how great it is, you yourself should be getting bored of that, you know? And if you're, and if you're not, then, you know, that's cool too, but you may, you may not, you may not change. You might be stuck. You might be a little stuck. And along those, and along those same lines, you know, uh, I there was a in that company we tubed. Uh, she did bring like a legit LA-based team to come and kind of train us for. I think it was about two weeks where every day we were just like, I'd never like set up a, a 1K, now I have one right here behind me, but I never set up for Nell lights. It was just kind of like whatever we had. And so it was very hands-on experience uh, to, to do all those things. Nice. Oh yeah. So, so after the, uh, after the red trolley shoots and, and that kind of gets rolling, Rob, um, what, what's, when did you guys get to the point where you were like, okay, we need to bring either bring on more people or grow, you know, like we have to take this thing to the next level. What did that look like? Um, let's see. Well, while we, while, while Rolly and I were living together, our spot was basically like the hangout spot. So our friends were always over and they just kind of had to get, you know, gulfed up in this twister of ideas and video chat. And, you know, a lot of our friends are creative in their own right. And some of them were doing video as well. So we kind of did have a mini little kind of creative team within our friends already. And uh, I think everyone saw the vision of what this could be like. 
um, and what this could ultimately be as a company. Um, as far as the trolley show, like all of our friends were down to help. So uh, we actually came up with the name Roberto Productions to throw something on the end of trolley show to be like, all right, we're a legit company, not just the guys that do a red trolley show. Um, and, and the name kind of spawned from my business partner, Andrew Rowley, and my full name, Roberto. And we wanted to pay tribute to our, you know, where, where, where the company was created here in San Diego. And we're no strangers to taco shops. So it just kind of, it just seemed to work perfectly. And when I was doing research of kind of company names, I'm not a big fan of like using your name and then putting like creative at the end of it. It's like, you know, it seems like the least creative thing to do to put that literally in your name but it works for some people and then also like i'm i'm sure we've all seen like uh websites that have like the old film cameras they're just like I'm like well we're we're shooting with a dslr so like our full logo has a 7d on it um and i and i think that was just kind of the point in time where we were at um and the biggest factor was that it was really genuine versus being like Rob's grand video company. I didn't want to do that, you know? Uh, and everyone's aesthetic was just super clean, super high-end. I think it was the first time people could just really seem high-end without actually being high-end, I guess. And so everyone just had the cleanest websites and they looked awesome, but it just wasn't us. Uh, we have, we always say we take our work seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. And like Manny knows, we like to have fun on set no matter you know what the project is because we enjoy it we enjoy getting that shot even if it is like all right it's just a talking head any little thing oh that backlight looks really cool or oh man what if we just have them turn a little bit this way or do this random angle what have you um we we just enjoy the entire process and uh we have fun doing that so we wanted to have fun with it be genuine and i mean it's a word we made up roberto and so uh, we love it. It's a conversation starter. And uh, I think, honestly, when we came up with it, we weren't even trying to name a company. We were just drinking some beers down at Livewire. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, you know, it'd be cool. It like, we could be Roberto because my name is that. And it was just like a, it was just like oh a big God. drunk combo. Oh and, and, and obviously, <laughs> shout out Ro Robertos, R-O-L which is like the gangster taco shop uh, like here in San Diego. Or one yeah. Of, you know, right. yeah. Alberto's, Roberto's. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. There's like... There's a, so many. Yeah. Any Berto. Any Berto. Any Berto's. <laughs> taco Berto's. I've seen, seen Adalberto's. Adel, Adalberto's, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, yeah, but I, I love how you guys work that aesthetic into, you know, your your branding too, you know, with the with the taco and, you know, with all the you know the fun colors and you know it's just it it really to me it has its speaks, own voice yeah yes yeah, speaks with this like authentic like yep. feel and and i just really enjoy that too man i agree definitely thank you man i appreciate that yeah, yeah it's yeah. definitely kind of semi accident as far as like what it actually brought to us where i think early on we maybe weren't thinking as crazy about the branding aspect it was just kind of like this would be cool and this is genuine and let's just name our company to sound like a taco shop. But it's, it's, it's given us a lot of benefits uh, branding wise, which, you know, like I've mentioned before, P 
people like us and they like our branding and uh, that is a big factor of why they hire us because we're walking the walk. We're not just telling you what to do. Go look at our social media. Go look at our website. Uh, we know what works. And if that, that isn't necessarily always exactly what the client has to do, but they just see that we get it outside of just making a video. Uh, well, I think that is really important like for just people, again, in the creative space, this individuality, because there's a lot of like carbon copies out there of, of just like the same, again, the same thing, the same style. And That's if you saying. can be, mm -hmm. yeah, if you can be unique and like show people that you're different, one, I, I think it's great because you're, you're, you're right, you're just out there. There's no facade of who you are. You see what you get. And two, I think it limits that, uh, those awkward interactions you may have with a client where they're like, ooh, you know, like you do good work, but we just don't click. Like, you know, completely bypass that by being upfront about who you are and your, you know, your, your nature. And you're going to attract all the right people, which it seems like you guys have. You, you probably have like all the clients you want to work with and have dispelled all the ones you don't, which is a really hard part of the come up because sometimes you're just working with people you don't like and that, that sucks. It's, it's, it's a lot harder. So yeah, being, you know, having that kind of authentic, like personality with your brand, you know, super important. Um, but Rob, so who was the, who was the first person that came on board outside of you and Roly, like officially with Roberto's? Officially, officially, uh, that would be Jen. Um, yeah. So I've known Jen actually at the other company that we started, we tube you, um, like everyone, she was just on that hustling mentality. You know, when you're freelancing, you just got to like get those gigs on your own. They're not going to fall on your lap. Um, so she was doing a lot of real estate photography. She was transitioning over to more video work. And so she was helping us out at WeTube you to produce the projects. And so uh, simultaneously, as I was working at WeTube you and learning the inner workings of, you know, that company, we also, um, I, we were starting Roberto's. Like I would talk to Lane about issues that we were running into, or she would help me develop contracts. And, you know, I mean, some of them were literally just me switching out a logo and putting our logo on it. Like this is the kind of help she was giving me, which, you know, I, I, I couldn't imagine doing a lot of that research on my own. And so um, we were doing these companies simultaneously and then, uh, unfortunately, Lane passed away to breast cancer. And it was just kind of like a serious, a heavy, heavy point in my life where I never, I was, I got really close with this woman. And she took me under her wing and taught me more than I learned in school, you know, for business. And so, you know, we got really close. I was, we were working at, you know, her facility for like 10 hours a day. So like we spent a lot, a lot of time together and especially as production manager um, and trying to learn business stuff from her. So, um, you know, I would consider her even more than a mentor for sure. And so when she passed away, it was super heavy moment. I mean, like her family was there, me and another one of our uh, crew members, Sean, who, who came up with me at WeTube it was just like a lot, a lot to uh, kind of handle. Her daughter was there and um, it, it, it was heavy, but it was also kind of like the point where it was like, I was almost using WeTube as a semi excuse because we were so busy that that was kind of the reason, 
oh, I can't de keep developing Robertos. We got all this WeTubeU stuff. And um, I didn't see it like that back then that I was kind of doing that. But looking back, I do see that I was maybe trying to stagnate Robertos because I was maybe scared. I didn't know what I was doing. I don't know. Uh, probably multiple factors like that. And um, when we kind of got to that point, it was either this is the leap of faith. This is the point here of everything that you've learned from this woman. This is the time to put it in, in the action. And that that was when we fully, fully jumped as a LLC. Uh, before that, we were a general partnership, just Roly and myself as 50-50 uh, owners. And um, I mean, just learning that process on its own was, was a whole yeah, thing, man. you know? For sure. <laughs> And just For like sure. government paperwork, um, you know, making sure you tax board, yeah. getting that money. all that stuff. <laughs> and it's expensive when you're a freelancer, you know, that yeah, 800 is, bucks bro. a year. You're like, whoa, it's not cheap. Yeah, yeah dude. It's totally so, worth it, though. But doing all of those things and putting all of those things in place definitely pays respects and pays homage like to to even, you know, your upbringings in that relationship. Con todo respeto, you know, it's definitely like. It built you. It, it 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 gave everything the strength and the and the experience to to get that foot forward. So great, great, great job on that too. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so it was kind of just this point where it was kind of you know shit or get off the pot kind of moment where it was like we have it all. We have it all to just kind of do it, and it, it was kind of that leap of faith that we just didn't take yet. Um, so as Roberto Productions with Rolly and myself as general partnerships, the homies come in on board to help us out with the trolley show and other things. Um, actually, our original logo was just a bunch of all of our hair because we all kind of had like very different hair. No, no faces, literally just like the hair. I'll have to send you guys the logos or I'm sure it's definitely at the tail end of some of those old trolley shows where there was six. Yeah. There was six I remember, of us. I kind of remember that. Yeah. It, 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 and again, it was just kind of from us in our little creative compound, a.k.a. my two-bedroom apartment. And um, it was just us kind of throwing around ideas. I think someone brought a book over that was like, can you guess this celebrity by just their hair? And we like always had fun looking at this book of just like random rock stars. Some were obvious like Elvis. Others were really vague. And so it was like kind of cool fun when you could really tell who it was. And that was kind of the idea for that logo. Um, and that was Roberto Productions, the homies, me and Roly, not, I don't want to say not super official, but cause we were, we were legit. We were definitely like a little crew and all that. And we did take on some, some gigs for some concerts, but it wasn't like the real deal company that we have now. And that step kind of came with, let's become an LLC. Um, another hat that I took off my rack was. I'm just not a numbers person. I think a lot of creative people maybe fall into that. Um, I just needed like an accountant CPA. And um, actually one of the first things that we did as an LLC was I did take out a loan uh, with a local nonprofit called Acción. And uh, they, they provide low interest rates, uh, low interest rate loans for um, small businesses. 
and it helps if you're you know a minority a woman a veteran different things like that and i never thought i would take out a loan that just sounds crazy to even like say as a 20 something you know but um they pretty much gave us that starting foundation to be like let's get that camera we actually want let's get the certain equipment that we need and then also uh just different things paying you know business stuff taxes and things like that and uh that's when all that kind of happened within the same six months maybe of us taking out the loan we became a legit llc and that's when we shifted the name to be roberto's media because just in case another one of these little pivots happens we can still maybe include you know, maybe a lot more photography, maybe some graphic design, maybe some audio stuff, whatever. We're just Roberto's media as opposed to, uh, you know, being too specific with video production. Also, people thought when we were Roberto Productions, we were the company that threw the event or threw mm-hmm. the party. We were like filming and they thought so we were the event company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, and it doesn't help when you have a, lo- a taco and then they're asking you, where you can, there's a taco line. Hey, so how much for a party of a hundred? Make a good carne asada, bro. Right. And so, um, uh, so the loan becoming an LLC were the biggest factors in us. Um, I know you need becoming legit, I guess. And uh, back to your question, Carrie, the first person that we thought of that we needed, no question, Jen. I knew we needed someone because she's way more organized. I think I've told you guys before, I have one of those messy desks, but mm-hmm. I know where that one post-it is. It's below yeah. that other contract <laughs> and it's underneath that notebook. I know where that it is, but it's, very, yeah. but it's very yeah. hard to get to. And so uh, Jen is a lot more actually organized. Um, She understands production from pre-production to post. She also does photography and editing. Um, And so it just seemed like the well-rounded person that we needed. And she's technically employee number one. Um, She's actually still technically our only employee. Um, As of right now, we have a sales manager, Ryan. He does a lot of our uh, sales, but he has his own kind of marketing and sale company. So because that's outside of our industry, he can still come on as a 1099. Um, I'm sure we've all ran into that whole AB5 situation. AB5, I was about to say that, yeah. A whole nother, yeah, maybe cut this part out, Carrie. Every one of us are (laughs) employees. Not for um, sure, man. Well, it's 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 a gig economy now, man. It's a contractor's world, you know. And and out, you know, outsourcing things like sales and stuff like that. It's a no-brainer, man. You know, and it's not just us. I come I come from the sales world, you know. And I was an I was an independent sales rep, which means I represented multiple brands, you know. Um, that that's where I come from, bro. And that's and the largest companies in the world outsource sales and, and stuff like that. So it's not, it's not like a, a bad thing by any means. And, you know, using contractors now is just, I mean, it, it's almost silly not to, in a lot of ways w- with some of this stuff. So nah, bro, I think that's, that's an effective maneuver all day. <laughs> no, for sure. It just gets a little tricky with the production realm of, you know, other camera ops or PAs or people within your industry. But, um, no, yeah, I agree. And that was literally the second thing we wanted to do as like an official company was like, I'm like, dude, I don't want to sell. Like, 
I talk about video to every single person I meet, but I'm not really selling them on, you know, working with us necessarily. Like I love talking about, you know, everything we were talking about here, but that salesperson is, that's the personality. That's a trait that, you know, I don't know if you're inherently born with it or maybe it's a learned skill, but they're on a different mindset and uh, we just weren't really there. And that was a big thing that I think was lacking with us because yeah, the phone would ring, but it was like video is such a crazy umbrella term that people, when they say video, I bet a different thing is popping in all of our heads right now. And then that's even crazier for, you know, just the someone, average public or who, a business yeah, owner. Doesn't even, right, right. And so, so Rob, what, how has, how has your role changed? And like, so like, where are you at now within Roberto's and, and, what do you dig about it? You know, is it is it where you want to be? Is it a stepping, you know, kind of a, a stepping stone to where you want to be eventually? Or what's going on with that? Yeah, my role has evolved a lot. I feel definitely more into obviously like managerial stuff, uh, producing and directing on set. Whereas if you asked me in 2010 when I graduated what I wanted to be, I wanted to be a cinematographer. I wanted to be behind the camera. Like I mentioned, in high school, I love the framing. That's, that's still my favorite part to do. That's my creative outlet is to create the frame. But as we've growing as a company, I know that that doesn't really mean me holding the camera to create the, the vision, to create that image, you know? I can be another piece of that. And just inherently from having to grow a company, I do do a lot more admin. Um, I do kind of do a lot more of the pre-production behind the scenes type stuff um, and then directing on set because again I got my fingers and a little bit of everything I can talk to the audio guy hey we're gonna have some audio issues because of XYZ I can talk to Rolly who obviously does uh, our Rolly does all of our camera uh, our, our camera work so he's our main camera op and uh, we've been working together so long, like I don't even have to tell Rolly something. I'll just start walking over and he knows what I'm gonna say because we just are kind of on that same wavelength. So I trust him wholeheartedly. Um, definitely times to just, hey, just give me some cool stuff. Do your own thing. I don't need to be over your shoulder every time. Um, and so my role, I never thought I would be a quote unquote director, but um, you know, I like talking to people. And then going back to that, figuring out how shots are made, you are orchestrating that. I think, Carrie, you said earlier, or someone said earlier, like, you're the coach. And it kind of, I, I do compare that to, like, you know, a, a football coach or something where it's like, here's the play, here's the game plan, and it's only going to work if these guys, you guys need to walk here at a certain time and then keep walking, don't stop and turn around, especially, you know, sometimes you have to, you have to work with non-talent and you just have to be very you almost have to over communicate and it's just kind of that's something that I learned a lot is uh being able to make stuff happen as the orchestrator I guess where cool we still got the vision in that little frame I'm just not holding the camera anymore and I'm, I'm yeah, perfectly I, I, okay with that I think that's a huge like ego things that people get hooked on to is like the guy with the camera the cameraman he's the guy who's doing all the work it's like no bro like they're again like when you reveal what's behind you know the curtain it's all these moving parts and if you can't get past that ego stage of like saying well i'm not holding the camera but i am 
for sure a part of this, maybe even a bigger part of what people think I am. Yep. I, I think that's how you excel. And it, it sounds like that's what you're doing too. And like, you know, I think too often it's thought of like, oh, I took a step back. It's like, no, man, I, I actually took a step forward. Like I'm, I'm relieving myself of ego and I'm putting trust in other people that I believe in because I don't even have to look over my homie's shoulder. I know he's got the shot. Right, and I think exactly. that's such a such a unique thing to find in other creatives, and especially people like you know who are in the come up. They should just realize that being like, dude, if you don't hold the camera, it doesn't mean you're not doing work. Your your value on set is is still is still highly important. You know, totally. I'm picturing uh, there's this one photo. I have to send it to you guys after this, but um, there's a photo of. You know, there's the talent, and then there's Rolly on the gimbal, me behind him looking at the monitor, a PA with his hand on my back, making sure me and Rolly don't fall, our audio guy with his boom pole stretched out over four people to get that, and then he has a PA wrangling cable. And I just love that because it's kind of like exactly what you're saying of all the audience sees is this nice, smooth shot of this guy walking, talking, and there's five people in making that happen. And uh, again, that just goes into like, I love that. I love that that's what it takes and being able to make that happen is one of my favorite things. Uh, like Ian was talking about, you know, that getting, getting past the ego of having to have your hands on the camera or even to the ability to trust another person, right, to, to, do, to do the job um, and still be able to- Learning to let go. Right, direct the vision. That's definitely something that has to be like cultivated and learned. Yeah, dude. Um, it's because, tough. Yeah, it, it is tough, especially as like a, a as like a true creative, you know, who, you know, you like want a, your like a shooter by nature, like a like a yeah. natural shooter. Like you, yeah, you, you want to be hands on, right? Yeah, it, 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 and it's what you've always done. But you know, be, being able to to detach a little bit and create some separation there, have trust in the creatives, the professionals that you're working with. Again, we talked about that on, you know, a previous episode where um, you, you have to be able to develop that and cultivate it. Um, I, yeah, but, I mean, we're in, we're in a collaborative medium, you know, I think we've probably all worked on a shoot, solo one-man band, and then with a the crew. And the difference is exponential of, being able to have people there that you trust that'll give you that you know great audio quality. Yes, know it. Yes, talk to the audio guy. But there's a lot of times where I'm like, whatever you think is best, man. I mean, totally. That's yeah. the point of why you're here. Yeah, it's like you tell me. Like you tell me what's good because yeah. I'm like, I trust you. Like you're you're the guy. Like if if you think it's good, let's do it. Like if exactly. not, then like let me know. Yep. If you don't nice, feel man. sure about it, let me know, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so what's next, Rob? What, what's uh, what's on the horizon for for you? Yeah, for you and Roberto's man. What are you What are you looking at? So, I guess you know, with us, we're always kind of trying to. Our industry is just always evolving. It's pretty crazy of just where we are now versus two years ago, even you know. Um, so. What we did internally is really kind of nailed down what do we want to do because our phone rings for sure and there was a point in time when if you called us we tried to make something work with you you know and there's a lot of difficulties that come with that uh, budget idea 
you know, scheduling, timing. It's, it's hard to make everything fit. And we would try to do that. And we realized that wasn't effective because even the projects that we did get weren't the type of projects that we wanted. So I think another kind of one of the evolutionary steps that we're trying to take as a company is really nail down what we want to do, uh, which is leaning more towards short form commercial work. We don't really want to do your vlog. Do we have a vlog? Yes, because we see value in that. But we're not trying to set up your vlog. Plus, it'll be overkill because we're going we're gonna to have to charge you like five, six K to bring the type of crew I want for your vlog. And if you just want a simple vlog, that's obviously not going to work. So our goal is to really strategically go after the types of people that are thinking big like we are. Um, and we're not trying to have those conversations as much because, or the conversations that we know aren't going to work because those take time. It takes time for Ryan to put numbers together. It takes time for me and Rolly and Jen to put an idea together. And we used to present everything, you know, up front. And then we were like, what if they just take our idea and give it to, you know, Carrie for $1,000. There goes our idea. Which I've, I've had happen, bro. You know. I, I've got I've got you know heavy design background too, and I have sat in a Starbucks with a young lady who had a a, a product line, we'll say, um, and I sketched out the perfect logo for her on the spot, and was like, "This is this is what you need to do. These are the next steps. Hit me up. We'll get it going, bro." Six months later, I'm at an event that she that that company is a sponsor for the event, and up on a like a movie screen you know, behind this event is the logo I drew in that Starbucks. Never heard from that person again, you know, no, and it was, it was a crushing feeling, you know, but it, it, it was a major lesson for me right then. I decided, you know, that I would never again turn over my intellectual property to a prospective client without something in place first that was going to protect it. Like that was the, that was the moment right then. It's very interesting because it's funny that our most valuable thing is our creativity, yet people don't want to pay for that. And it's like, are you paying? Are you just paying me to hold the camera? No, you're paying me because I'm providing the idea and carrying it through execution. Um, and it's just really interesting. That was a that was an issue we ran into before. Is like, how do we charge creative? You know, because some clients come with a full blown idea. I've had clients. I actually posted a video today on my LinkedIn. Uh, some of our friends, uh, we helped them with their video. They came with a script. They came with like some shots in their head. And like, we just kind of had to fill in the gaps, help them with the logistics of finding the right location. Um, and then some clients don't have anything. They were just like, I don't know. We want to do a branding video. And it's like, okay, but what? But what? what's in it? Well, what's going on in, in the video? And so it's like, we started implementing uh, a lot more questions. We have a lot more meetings or now Zoom calls uh, before we even talk numbers or even ideas. We literally have two Zoom meetings, one with just Ryan. He feels them out. And if they're at that $1,000, no idea, they don't move on. He, he just kind of nips it in the bud then and there. And they don't move on into our next processes. The next process is meet me and Rolly, see if we, it's, I'm flipping the script. I want to know if you guys are good enough to work with us. I know Definitely. I can make your video. Yeah. I know I can yeah. make your content. I know we can give you some 
quality and effective stuff that you need, but are you good enough to work with us? And I think I just think even being like, able to say that out loud is huge. Definitely, it, it adds value too to bring that to the table. I, I think people immediately respect that. And I was like just this morning on a call with our copywriter and like she was like, well, what are we gonna do in this meeting? I was like, the first thing we're not gonna do is give them any creative information. We're here to gather from them. We're harvesting now so that when we do come with a proposal, we're like, here's what we're regurgitating back at you. Now you decide if you wanna work with us because like you're saying, I, I don't think people do it necessarily you would hope out of um, to create harm, but they just don't get that it's like to create something out of thin air by our ideas, that, that's, that's the value right there it it's like time. yeah it, it, and it takes like and our mind power, yeah like my mind so our minds don't like don't think like that so like you want to take that ability from me and monetize it well show me the money <laughs> like, you know <laughs> you like to play. yeah jerry Maguire, your ass right now like <laughs> show me the money or you know I, i'm sorry this you know we, we can't move forward Right. Fortunate thing with uh, our industry is, you know, that was a, a, a big learning curve I had to learn as well. And I think it, it maybe hinders a lot of newcomers and freelancers is they're scared to talk about the money. I know you guys talked about this on on your sh uh, one of the shows recently where it's like you're doing a business transaction here, but you want to be like the cool, young, creative guy with a video camera and you get almost scared and I've been burned one too many times from that and it was just kind of I guess learning the hard way and then just being like dude we're ask them the budget in the first meeting you know uh, now that we've involved a different process it's a little later on but it's like I want to know what your budget is because if you don't tell me a number I'm gonna give you a realistic number that's gonna surprise you so, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, that's yeah. a fucking fact, bro. That's so <laughs> true. It's like you asked for a crazy commercial. What were you expecting? Like yeah, totally a hundred, a hundred dollars? Like, like get out of here, Rob. I thought we were. Uh, I thought yeah. we were friends here, uh, Rob. Uh, yeah. well, it, go it goes back into again. Like our industry is such an umbrella term. It's very saturated because like. Like you guys said, everyone's got a cousin with a DSLR, and it's yeah, like, I'm right. sure up, your bro. cousin with a DSLR and a gimbal can shoot your event, but if you have big goals and you want to make a commercial or you want to you know, do something bigger, that's where maybe we would come in. And I think that goes into what we're saying of, are the clients actually thinking like this? And if they're not, they're not the right client for us. Right. And, and I don't, honestly, I, I don't believe that you know, the, the clients that approach us are out to take advantage of us. I don't think that's the case, but people will take what they can get. And if, if, if you're, if you're trying to be the cool guy and, and you leave a lot of slack in the line and a lot of room for them to add in requests and, you know, things like that, they, people will take that because they're paying for it. Right. They're like, well, if I'm getting this much value for my money, I, I might as well get as much as I can out of it, right? So they weren't you know, told. Like, they weren't told otherwise, you know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> so there's no expectation for them. Porque so, no. Yeah. yeah. Porque no, man. So <laughs> yeah. so you know, again, we we've talked about this again previous episodes, and this just this is a real life example of how important it is to put those processes in place up front that are kind of the gatekeeper for your business and and you know 
protect you, not only protect you, but save you time from having to talk to all these people, save you energy from, you know, having to trying to come up with things before you even, you know, settle on a a budget or something like that. So it just drives home the importance of all that stuff that, that we've. Yeah, I think it also protects our industry too. Like there are guys that should be doing those thousand dollar jobs. Like the guys that are coming up, like again, years back, sure, I would have taken that. But now it's like, if we constantly are trying to accommodate to people, well, it just kills the industry. And I can't, I mean, I know Manny and I have a couple of times seen posts on Facebook where we're like, bro, you're charging how much? Like, come on, man, have some self-respect. Also respect everybody else that's trying to make a living in this industry. And I think that's something over the top people need to realize if they're coming into this, that they, they need to, do the research and, and charge the right amount for, for themselves and support everybody else in doing so. Yeah, and, and, and they're doing, and when they do that, they're also paying respects to the industry by actually, you know, if you fit, if you feel like you can charge us a certain amount, but some people, this is this is the, the counter argument. Oh, I, I don't need to to charge that much. You know, I don't I don't do this as a as a living or whatever. It's like, well, we well, do. Yeah, well, we do. That's my fucking point. You know what yeah, I mean? You're hurting all of yeah. us that we are. So it's like, don't charge no damn five hundred dollars for a wedding, bro. Like you're hurting these all these other everyone cats across that, you know the what field. I mean? Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. So just pay respects to the industry. Do your research and and ask questions to other people like it doesn't hurt to ask rather than just throwing a, a, a massive deal when you're for sure going to hit get hits. But you are you are you really doing a good thing or, or are you kind of hurting everyone else? You know what I mean? I guess one thing that we learned and it sucks that you have to learn it the hard way is when you let other people tell you the price, you're telling they're telling you what you're worth, which isn't the way it should work. And so you should know how it works. And it's tough, especially early on, because even when I was doing those media art videos, right, you're kind of like balancing out. Well, I mean, I'm able to do what I want in the morning and then in the afternoon I'm shooting uh, an interview and then at night I'm editing late night till 2 a.m. And I basically earn $200 in, let's say, eight hours. And it seems cool and it seems good for that person at that point in time. And so as you grow, I think you just have to kind of keep that in mind where I know people that grow and maybe get bigger projects, but their prices stay the same. And maybe that's one of the things to kind of keep in mind. But for me, it's just, I don't want other people to dictate what I'm worth. I want to control that. And if that's too much for someone to handle, well then you're not valuing my time the way I am. Um, And so I think that's just kind of one of those lessons that you're only going to learn through experience. We've all done those probably $200 videos that hopefully we never do again. But we've also done- As many as I could get my hands on. But (laughs) but we've also done those free videos for the homies that we were passionate about that was like, damn, that was like a $5,000 thing we just put together. So (laughs) it's kind of one of those things where it's like, because we have the tools, we have the talent and we want to bring it, you know, may elevate it. But um, yeah, just pricing wise, I think people see what you paid for it. So if, if, if the price is your biggest concern, then, you know, yeah, I can probably point you to the direction of someone that can get it towards that price. 
but you're gonna get a video that looks like it was two hundred dollars. Yeah, I think being like really direct is like the method of, of of how like most interaction should be when you're talking about price. Like like we're saying before, like when people start kind of beating around the bush and and things like that, to me that that's already a red flag. I'm like you don't value one this interaction even like you're you're asking for something i'm here to help provide that for you and if if you can't initially start showing the mutual respect then then i'm just like yeah i'm sorry this isn't going to work out i can point you in the direction of another person which i think we've talked about on the podcast before it's just another pro move you know it's like there's a guy like i know those guys for sure i'm gonna help you out just by helping them out and then you know you're you still formed that relationship, uh, and it's not like just all right, see you never kind of deal. <laughs> exactly, and I yeah. think a lot of people, again in our industry, they just see the video, the final video. It's not that hard. It was short. It was twenty seconds. Why oh, is it that my hard? Gosh. It's like, dude, it's harder when it's only twenty seconds. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. And so I think people just see the end product, I and mean, we may have all seen that meme where it's like the top of the iceberg and it's just like oh, the music yeah. video and then literally everything that goes into yeah. making that music video Under the water. That, that clients just and I think we've just said it before where the clients just don't know what they don't know and so mm-hmm. us providing that little bit of value of that perspective I think is very helpful and if it doesn't work out we always pass them off to a contractor on our list that at least we stay in good graces with them. So when they are ready for that $20,000 commercial, they're gonna hopefully you know, chat with us because we help them solve a problem still. Right. So uh, Rob, I know the Robert, Roberto's team is like pretty tight and you guys have just a, a really kind of dope culture within you know, the, the group as well. Uh, and I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that, you know, some of the core values over at Roberto's and, you know, this kind of little culture that you've been able to create in the agency. Yeah. You know, so, um, kind of like I mentioned before, where there's points during our business where I put the company and business at the forefront and maybe let's let the creative projects either come or I'll let Jan and Rolly kind of take the lead on making those happen and I don't know there's just so much info out there right now on how to like build a good company and build a good team that I kind of that was a, a, another thing that I dove into for a little while of um, building that company culture and I saw a lot of value in doing that because I was having people come into our office to help me build this brand that has a taco in it, you know? And it was like, that's really cool. I'm very humbling that, you know, that is the case because I didn't think this would be a thing, you know, when I was started freelancing in 2010. And so I want to do it right internally from the start. And company culture is something that actually probably at WeWork, they did like a lunch and learn or something and see if we were kind of talking about that. And I really took to it because you see people working at Google and they're like, oh shit, that would be really awesome to work there. But it's like, okay, so they have bikes on campus. You're still doing a bunch of coding. Like it's interesting because it's kind of like, could be a very boring job at any other company, but because it's at Google, one, it's got power to say I work at Google. And then also it's like, the campus is cool. We get free coffee, we get, you know, whatever. And so not that we could do something like that, but a version of that. 
you know, something that is something that is making people excited and um, I don't know, just really motivated to help you build your brand. And so, Carrie, you mentioned our company values. We have we really nailed it down. We used to have like a list of like 15 things that were just kind of like quotes that we like that kind of embodied some of the the things that we want. But it's like I'm not going to memorize all these things like I like the quotes, but I wanted our values to just be something that we can repeat just without thinking about it and we are actually living it you know and so uh we came up with our values to be be cool be creative and give a damn and there there's a lot more that goes behind them besides just kind of you know the words themselves but be but cool isn't easy like to understand totally yeah it's, like, it, it, it's you, you can get behind it you know it's it's not some complicated philosophy it's you know it's super like be cool, be creative, and give a damn. I can do all three of those things, and if those are the things I need to be really focused on in order to work there, I'm down. You know, th those are like great values, bro. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we you know we try to implement those in every project, but also just like our lives. And so we use a, a, a project management uh, a base camp. I don't know if you guys uh, use that at all, but. That's what we use for all of our projects. And, you know, you can ask a weekly question. So every I think it's every Monday we ask, how are you cool? How are you creative? And how did you give a damn in, within the last week? And we all fill that out every every start of the week. And it's kind of a cool way to start the week because then you see the success of you living these values and uh, you just kind of, I don't know, try to keep it going throughout the next week. And so we're very adamant about those and that they go more than just like be a cool guy. It's like be be cool with everyone, be respectful with everyone. You know, I love one of the things that I love about our job is like I learn so much because we're trying to tell someone else's story. Like, I don't know how much you guys have learned about manscaping, but I'm sure more than you knew, <laughs> you know, and different things yeah. like that, where it's like, you're trying oh, yeah. to tell these other people's stories. And so they have to bring you into their world. And, uh, you know, when I, even when I used to do those corporate gigs, learning the inner workings of how like a real estate firm works was really, really cool. Cause like, it is kind of like managerial. All these guys are like contractors. They just happen to be at the office. And uh, I never really seen that firsthand. And I mean, every type of client that we have brings us into their world. And so be cool about it. Learn, want to learn. That's a big thing for me is like, I always just stay on that learning path. I know I don't know it all. So um, I want to just keep, keep learning. And I'm very open to learning. I ask a ton of questions and you know, some are dumb, but you know, so, so some are legit. So be cool, be creative. We always try to do a uh, different type of shot every shoot, you know, whether that's the best shot in the video or one that we're like, let's leave that one out. Actually, we were a little, a little too creative on that one. Um, at least we tried it. At least we tried it. And then just giving a damn actually stems from, you know, the we tube you when I was working there with my mentor i was like there was a point i was a young kid you know and i was just like ah these are so boring i don't why why and it's like she instilled in me lane instilled in me to just care literally care and that's what that means about giving a damn because our name's going out with this thing on it so 
I'm not, you know, trying to put something out that we're not excited about. And as we've been growing as a company, where you've been able to limit the things that are going out there that, you know, maybe we don't like, and we're just not kind of taking on those types of projects of stuff we don't like or don't align with those values. Um, unless the money's right. So, you know, that's, that's, a, that's another, that's another like, tier. Maybe we should, we should add a, uh, we should add a value there. Like, like Ian said, show me the money. That's our fourth value. Show, disclaimer, if the money is right, we'll do whatever you want. Asterisk. Like, I love those values though, man. Those are so cool. And like, just, I, I think that's something with also production world. And like when people see, you know, things going on in like LA or like these large things, like sometimes it, it feels like you're just this small little person in this great big ocean of people doing big things in production but when you hear things like that it's it, it really makes you feel like this can be a homegrown effort in the sense of like be a good person like do the work care about the work i i yeah i, I really respect that I, I think that's really cool that to have those those things as a mantra oh i was just gonna say dude like the culture exists whether you're proactive about you know uh, uh, cultivating it or not. So, you know, as you continue to grow, a culture will form and you can either let it like be what it is organically, or you can actually instill values, you know, to foster the kind of culture that you want. Um, so I, you know, I, I think being proactive about it and, and instilling those values, um, and, and taking control of it, uh, is, is the right thing, man. And, and you can make it be what you want it to be. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's kind of like where they pretty much came from. You know, like I said, we had that list and it was like, all right, this is a cool quote, but what? Like, do we value that like that? And it, it, it was it was more of just like, what are we? What what do we like? And I think they just kind of came out. It was like, just be, we just want to be cool and we want to be creative. And it just kind of like they they came out very fluid because we were already doing it. It was just like you're saying, harnessing it and then really kind of making it a thing. And I went to a workshop about cultivating, you know, company culture. That's something people don't do. And it's also within our industry is the teams a lot of times are a bunch of random people coming together. And it's very tough to formulate a company culture because it's me hiring out a bunch of contractors. So I'm very fortunate to have, you know, the time and the money to be able to supplement people to be like, hey, you work for us now. You know, to be able to pay someone is crazy and to be able to survive on your own company is crazy. We're all doing it, you know, and um, it, it's really humbling. And so we never really forget that. And having that team does make it easier to formulate that culture because we're just, we're working on, it's like a workflow. We're doing our editing workflow, but it's, this is our company workflow. And you don't work here unless you are cool, creative and give a damn, no matter how small the projects are. Right. Yeah, man. And I think, you know, even contractors, man, when they get a, when they get exposed to your culture, you know, then they can be like, oh, damn, like I want to work with those guys again if I can or same with clients they they vibe with that culture and they're like damn like I love working with Roberto's you know it's just those are the guys I want to work with you know dude I see it every time I give I give everyone one of these shirts every, every time a crew a new crew member shows up and like just kind of the that interaction is exactly what you're saying where they're like 
hey, dude, I want I want us to, you know, obviously be, have a uniform, quote unquote. They don't have to wear the shirt, but a lot of people usually do. And that interaction just kind of like they feel accepted. They feel part of the culture. That's like what we, you know, want to show off is like, dude, we want to show that we're a team. And if you just have this on, that helps that look and helps us even feel that. So that's something I see a lot. Yeah, like you said, Rob, it's it's like giving them a jersey. You know, it's like, totally. bro, I don't I don't care I don't care what like where you work or what you contract for today. You're a part of this team. You know, you you are you are team Robertos. Like exactly, today, welcome. You know, and, and inviting them into that culture. That's it's fucking sick, dude. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Is awesome. I see that for sure, and it's um, and it, where, it's cool. Where's my shirt, it's Rob? Great. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll Put me in, coach. Put me, me get in, coach. Shirt. I need my jersey. <laughs> I may, I may have some summer hoodies for you guys up here. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's up, man. <laughs> awesome, Rob. Well, um, you know, as we as we wrap episodes, we always like to kind of touch on key takeaways and uh, you know just glean as much insight as we can, especially you know if a guest is on. And um, so you know if you were. If you were talking to somebody just getting started in the game and, you know, looking for sage advice from a 10 year veteran and, you know, co-partner agency owner, like, um, you know, what, what would you, what would you maybe drop on those guys? You know, we kind of went into this a little cold and, uh, I, I said some stuff I wasn't really expecting to say, but I think the thing that stands out is really that taking the business side as seriously as the creative side. And I know that can be very, very tough with what we do. We're artists, we wanna showcase visuals. We wanna make that banger edit that just gets those views on Instagram. Of course, I, I wanna do that too. But the reality is you want to create a video business. And I think they just kind of go hand in hand and I think the value that we've seen as a company has been because I took those portions seriously. Um, I took growing a business as seriously as I did as doing a creative idea or taking a creative route. And so that's what I would tell someone as far as like, if you're really seriously thinking about doing freelance or starting your own video business, I think you have to look at both ends of that spectrum because um, you're not going to do it by just one. You're not going to make an awesome video company by just knowing everything business. You're not going to make an awesome video company by just knowing everything video. It, it, it's the combination of both. If you're lucky enough to maybe put someone in that position to handle the business uh, side of things, I think that's great. Uh, not everyone is, uh, starts off like that, so you kind of have to learn it all. The same way, dude, I watched YouTube videos on how to key a green screen when I was young. Um, I watched YouTube videos of business people. Um, I actually did take, um, I took two classes at City College because uh, I didn't have any business training. I just, I graduated from Cal State San Marcos with a communications major and a film minor. And they didn't talk anything business. They didn't talk anything marketing. It was a lot more just based on creating. And so I took it upon myself to take business classes and you know, uh, in those two classes, it was, it was basically writing a business plan. And that was where I just wrote our business plan in those two classes. People were making up fake companies that maybe they wanted the MVPs, to start. The MVPs, right? Those, uh, the mission, the, the vision, the, the, all of those good things. Everything. 
I mean, dude, and like what, I had. Where do you the see act- yourself in five years, ten years? <laughs> yeah, and I and I had all those actual numbers. I had all those actual yeah. experiences. So like, even like my first draft, I remember my teacher like, "Oh shit, you're you're ready to go, huh?" And I was like, "Yes, I'm running this business without a business plan." <laughs> yeah. and this so, thing exists already. <laughs> and I said, so, shit, put me on, coach. I need my shit. <laughs> I need the game plan. Where is it? <laughs> exactly. That's uh, that's kind of where you know I was able to create that in you know those classes, and it was cool because it was real experience, real. I mean, I was using our real financials, um, all sorts of stuff, but. Um, uh, one thing I, I did actually uh, think of that I wrote down, uh, there's this book and it's called Creativity in Business. And it used to be actually a textbook for a Stanford class. Old, this is an old book. This is like, I wanna say 80s, but it might even be older. And the whole idea of the textbook was that running a business is creative because you could do it your own way. You can do your own strategies, right? We all kind of like, it's this culture right now where everyone's trying to copy someone else. Well, I see Peter, Peter McKinnon's putting out all these vlogs. Let me, let me put out some vlogs where it's like, he already did it. You're just copying that. You can do it your own way. And same with business. There is things you have to do, but you can have fun with it. Yeah, I need a logo, but instead of me making the same logo with a film camera that no one uses, we're going to do this. You know, put a taco in there or um, just any sort of processes, any sort of anything business related, your workflow within business, there is creative aspects within that. And I think they're valuable on growing your business the way you want to grow it versus just being like, oh crap, I have to do this thing. Let me just get it out of the way. You can do it creatively. And even though the the textbook is is, is old, um, there's just a lot of valuable info to for that kind of mindset which we didn't talk about. I bet I could do a whole podcast just on what kind of mindset you need. Um, oh, yeah, dude. Sure, I'm bro. sure we can talk yeah. forever I about that kind of stuff. And, and we'll uh, have you back on for that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we'll do another one for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, I think it's the mindset thing, I think, is a big factor, too. So that goes in along of I'm taking the business side as seriously as the creative side because I don't want to just be two guys with a camera, you know? Right, and I... And I think a lot of people get it twisted, Rob. You know, you hear growing up, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life or whatever. And, you know, net net, I think that is facts for sure. Like over the course of the long haul, I think you definitely have more great days, um, you know, doing what you love. But there is 100 percent a work <laughs> part of it, too, where it's not always not always super fun. You're not always doing the one thing you you love to do. Um, it it's kind of a labor of love, but um, you know it. There there is a a part of it where it becomes work, and you know. But it's fun because that, it's this random thing you made, you know, yeah, versus bro. like doing it for someone else. It's still. Yeah. I find that little silver lining because it's like holy yeah. shit! Like I'm putting literally a light camera taco on top of this like legal document like that alone like that always makes you smile 100 percent, man and, and, you know and that's what it's about because at the end of the day net net 
like we're doing what we love and dude i wouldn't want to do anything else you know like straight up um but there are going to be those inflection points you know um where it's it's about the business or it's about this other thing and you've got to focus on that for a little bit and cultivate it uh and then you know implement it and in, into the daily routine and then it's back to just you know doing gangster shit you love to do right yeah, it's, it's, it's all part of it. I mean, I'm sure we've all had jobs that we hated before. And I mean, going going to a job that you hate every minute of versus like doing something you don't like to help build something that you creative is just right. It, it's yeah. just like, I mean, exact opposites. For sure. That felt what I was what I was going to say is just like the the huge takeaway is just being a huge advocate of believing in yourself you know just being confident about having the dream putting that foot forward and 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 like believing in your talent your peers people that can make your your ideas come through and just being confident about it too it's like sometimes all it takes is for some people to just speak up it's crazy how so many ideas are not fulfilled because of the what ifs and the what would happen if this and all these negative fucking ideas that are just like, bro, put it out, see what happens. And if it doesn't work, you learned from it. Done. But the other the other takeaway is that I, I want to give props to to Rob as well for being an advocate of always being learning, you know, like even after graduating, going to school and learning all the business aspects of like he 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 got this like oh shit i got to i got to put these balance you know weigh the balance out cuz this balance side was not really favoring so that props to that because that's a huge huge thing that freelance uh, creatives or creatives in general we we skip out on so props to that bro yeah, thank you man and i mean we're in a business that's always changing you know like why are we're shooting adapt. vertical videos? That's so crazy, you know. I <laughs> yeah. never thought I never thought we would have been doing that two, three years ago, and now it's That's like true, we we tack it on as a deliverable. So I don't think that ever is going to go away. I mean, some of the most successful people that you read about are always like, I'm always reading a book. I'm always just learning about yep. the new things and the maybe not even in your own industry. I think it's important too to just like. My girlfriend always gives me crap because I'm always she reads for fun. So she's reading like books with actual stories and like things. And I'm like, I'm always either reading a business book or a film book. And I just that is fun to me. But uh, I do think right. I do think I do think it's important too to just like, I don't know, research stuff that interests you that has nothing to do with production, that has nothing right. to do with, you know, maybe something that you're already kind of versed in because those things that just stay in the back of your head come back somehow and uh, it helps you solve another problem that they, you never thought are even connected. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always an advocate to keep learning and just asking questions. I always, I always talk it up with whoever I'm talking to. So, um, yeah, I, I Who knows? It could be that next passion project that blows up, right? Yeah, exactly. Sure. You yeah. never know where clients come from, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Ian, any closing thoughts, bro? Yeah, I, I really love just like, again, the mantra that you guys have as a company and like just what you see is what you get. You know, we, we work in an industry a lot of times where people are just, you know, not fake. I don't want to say that and be negative, but they have an idea of what they think this world is in production. And 
Yeah, I, I've definitely done that before where you, you try to talk yourself up and able to impress a client. But, you know, with Roberto's, I, I think that's really awesome that you guys have taken that perspective. And I, I'm definitely going to be better at that. And I think people in our industry should be better at that. It's like, this is who I am. If we click, we can work. If we don't, that's all good. And um, yeah, I, I love that about what you we're talking about today. And it's something that I hope people that are just starting can take away from take away too. It's like, be true to yourself. You know, this, we're all in this as creatives, but you probably have a perspective that's extremely unique and like live that up because that's what separates you from everybody else. Totally. Uh, well, I just want to say thanks from, you know, everybody here, Rob, uh, for coming on the show, man. It was awesome talking to you and, you know, we love having you in the community and thanks again for stepping up in the uncertain times and being a leader, um, and, you know, bringing us all closer together. Uh, it, it means a ton. Uh, and man, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Thanks for coming Rob. on and, and, and being on the episode. Thank you guys. I had a blast, man. That was a lot of fun. I could I could talk another two hours. What do you What do you guys? Hey, <laughs> My Texas trip is canceled. I'm telling you, <laughs> you're coming, yeah, you're coming back, bro. Uh, we want to get Roly on. We want to get definitely both, maybe both of you guys on the same time if we can sure. open it up to have like a you know a, a round table uh, with you guys. That'd be great. Yeah. So if you want to see what Rob looks like chilling in his studio, uh, be sure to check us out on YouTube at underexposure podcast uh you can also find us on spotify and apple Podcasts at underexposure podcast and follow us on instagram again at underexposure podcast uh check out the link in our bio which has our full link tree of where you can find the podcasts um and rob where where could we find roberto's media on on social yeah you can find us at roberto's media on facebook we're very active on Instagram, so if you guys want to DM us, that's where you might have the most success. And uh, if you're looking to hire us, probably LinkedIn, also at Roberto's Media. <laughs> and how do you spell that, Rob? R-O-W, don't forget that W, R-O-W-L-B-E-R-T-O-S, just like your favorite taco shop. <laughs> awesome, brother. Thanks again. And uh, so that's it for episode four of Underexposure Podcast. I'm Kerry Helton. This is Manny Aqua. Ian Harrington. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.